Good morning, saints. Contrary to um, the uh, deception and discord that has been sown, I was here all morning. But music guys will lie. I've learned that in years of ministry. Sometimes they're just misinformed. I feel like a polecat in a perfume factory. I am uh, absolutely out of my element with these other two preachers, and I'm honored to be a part of what God's doing, Dr. Hunter. God help us if you ever say what's on your mind. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> my stars. It made me think as I was listening to uh, Brother Rock and, and, and to Dr. Hunter, um, you know, Ezekiel said, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And uh, regardless of what we do with what we've heard, we, we have been challenged. Um, and as Manly Beasley would say, uh, and has, had often done in his meetings, uh, he would get to a point in a meeting like this and just dismiss and say, we've, we've already heard more than we're going to obey. And it'd be better for us to go home and pray than judgment be heaped on us. We, we've lost a little bit of that sense uh, when it comes to the Word of God. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word. Go to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And uh, as you're making your way to this very familiar passage, you are coming out of um, chapter 17, obviously, to state the obvious. You flow into what is, what is a major national, spiritual, political shift in, in the life of Israel. You will remember that in chapter 17, this unknown, obscure, camel hair wearing, uh, leather belt wearing, unsanctioned, no seminary degree that we know of, prophet of God shows up in Ahab's court and he pronounces the judgment of God. So if you would, out of reverence, will you rise for the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word? Would you look at verse 1 with me of chapter 18? And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in Samaria. They had called Obadiah, which was uh, the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was so. Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took an hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave. He fed them with bread and water. Nahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, to all the fountains of water, and to all the brooks. Peradventure, we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose, uh, lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab uh, went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him, and he knew him. And he fell on his face and said, Art thou that my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, I, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. Father, I pray, Lord, uh, if there be any spirit left in this room that's not of the Holy Spirit, I can't imagine with the singing and the sermons we've had that anything hung out here that's not of you. But if, if there's any rebellion left in our hearts, if there's anything that in any way would impede the operation of your spirit and the planting of your word in our heart, we ask in Jesus' name, you be preeminent. 
Hide me, I pray, behind the cross that we may hear from you and not a man. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. you may be seated, beloved. When, when you get to this text, one of the challenges is you are obviously moving into the climactic moment of Mount Carmel. And as you make your way to Carmel, you, 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 we know it. And because we know it, sometimes we approach the text with a familiarity that breeds a little bit of, of complacency because we have been exposed to it so much in our private praise and prayer time we approach it with an expectation that is less than sometimes what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Word of God is like a multifaceted diamond. It, it, it never ceases to amaze me. You can read a passage a thousand times and hold it up to the illuminating light of the Spirit and boom, there's something new. So when you get to this text, really the challenge is you, 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 you get sidewinded a little bit in the best way by the Holy Ghost of God. Don't let the familiarity breed a complacency when you get here. Now, now it's much like uh, not long ago, um, as uh, is Dr. Hunter's um, love, I, I love and personally pursue uh, prophecy. I, I will be walking across the stage this May, uh, receiving my degree uh, in, in advanced eschatological studies from a seminary. That's not bad for a two-time high school dropout, got hooked on phonics. That's not bad. Um, and I, I pursue it not for the degree, but because of the passion of where we live. I want to know. I want to have the acumen. I want the understanding, the urgency that you heard in Dr. Hunter's voice. I was in Israel. Uh, we were attending uh, what's called an APAC meeting. And um, Dr. Um, uh, Ted, not Dr., but uh, Senator Ted Cruz was to speak uh, to our group. And uh, when he came in, he said to us, we... We're excited that you're going to be coming to Washington to get a security briefing that, that, that was at a height of dealing with some things with Iran and the nuclear program from the last administration. I'm, I'm not making a political statement. I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't in any way defame or disrespect the sacred desk by, by bringing politics into it. We understand the etymology of the word politics. Poly, many, ticks, bloodsuckers. We're not going to deal with politics. Amen. Ted Cruz said, well, now, when you come to Washington for the security briefing, we want you to be very careful. And uh, it, it pains me to tell you that in your nation's capital, where we do business and many of us live as legislators, uh, just recently, one of my colleagues, a senator, was leaving late one night from a legislative session, walking down a rather dark alley, and um, a young man jumped out from behind a doorway, and he stuck a gun in one of our senators, United States senators' face, and he said, your, your wallet or your life? And the U.S. senator, taken back, not knowing what to do, stepped back a little bit and said to the young man, young man, you don't want to do this. You're about to make a major mistake. And the young man, in, in, in haste, pulled back the hammer of what appeared to be a 357 and said, I'll tell you one more time, buddy, your money or your life. And the senator trying to caulk him down said, now son, you're about to, you're about to make a decision that's going to alter the rest of your life. You, you need to understand you, you're making a mistake. He said, I'm going to tell you one more time, your money, your life. And the, and the guy, the senator said, listen, son, you don't know this, but I'm a U.S. senator. And the robber said, oh, in that case, give me my money. <laughs> A little slow, aren't they, brother? <laughs> when you come to this text, it, 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 it's much like that. You, you, it sneaks up on you a little bit because 
because we tend to take it apart devotionally or theologically, and those are not bad things, but, but you've got to tour the text. You've got to sit down in the scene and let the Holy Spirit unpack it for its relevancy for where we are. I want to show you first and foremost, I want you to pay attention to the fact, if you're taking notes, the absence of repentance. I want you, would you return to the text? And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, now beloved, here's, here's the challenge for me when I read this text. Three years ago, the prophet of God showed up in the palace, I, I think personally, this is just my, my, my own opinion. I'm imposing this. I, I, it's a little bit of eisegesis on the text. I, I, I want to know how such an obscure, odd-looking figure made it into the palace. Have you ever thought about that? Here's this wild-eyed, unsanctioned, uncredentialed, camel-hair-wearing, belt-toting prophet of God that shows up in the palace. How did he get in the palace? I think God supernaturally provided an opportunity. Let me pause here to say this. The church has developed an attitude that we've got to, we've got to have personalities and programs in order to win the world when all we need is the power of the Holy Ghost. God can do it. You don't have to have the personality. You, it helps if you have a personality. Can I get a witness in the house? I've met some people don't have one. They need one. But that's not what we're dependent on in today's church. Amen? How did he get in the audience of the king without being stopped? It was a supernatural intervention. But here's the absence of repentance. Here's what, what causes me to pause for a moment. It's three years later, and the text, uh, it describes it this way, and the famine was sore in the land. Sore. It's an open wound. For three years, no rain. The heavens have become a brass. The, the land is cracked with drought. The cattle are, are laying on the side of the road as skeletons, little babies' bellies are swollen. The people are emaciated. And for three years, all they had to do was repent. All they had to do was say, listen, we acknowledge it's not Baal that sends rain to Mother Earth. It's not that we go to the high places to stir up the sensual to get the rain to come and fertilize because that's what it was. This, this tree-hugging, whale-saving, baby-killing crowd, they ain't nothing new about them, beloved. They, they ain't nothing new about Al Gore. That stuff came right up out of the garden. It's the same silly nonsense that's been, been pursuing the humanity for all of time and eternity. Can I get a witness in the house? Here's my question to you this morning. What, what does it take? What does it take? Why is there an absence of repentance that for three years they have have been languishing. Fields that were supposed to have, have milk and honey flowing through them. They're living in a land they did not buy. They're, they're living in houses they did not build. They're drinking from wells they did not dig. They're supposed to be eating from vineyards they did not plant. They're living in a land as vagabonds now as children of God. Three years they've been living in the midst of this agony and drought. It's a picture of the spiritual situation of the land. Here's my question. How long does it take you and I to get a, some kind of sense that we got to repent. Three years? Three years. You mean to tell me that for three years this has been going on and nobody had enough of God on them to say, you know, we might ought to repent. Y'all get anything out of what I'm saying this morning? 
How many unborn children we got to kill in this land before we understand that God's not going to put up with this mess? We will kill on average today somewhere in the neighborhood between 800 and 900 children today in this nation. We will rip them from the safest place they're ever going to know called their mother's womb. And by the way, Planned Parenthood, which is funded to the tune of $500 million from our tax-funded money. Now, we can't hand a Bible out in a high school where I pastor in Knoxville, Tennessee. I can't present the gospel in the middle school in Knoxville. Tennessee, but but they take a half a $500 million a year to underwrite the murder of children. And by the way, Planned Parenthood took that money and built what they call is a nursery. They call it the nursery in Atlanta, Georgia. Oh, it's not a nice, beautiful, safe, carpeted, sterile place like you have here. The nursery in Atlanta, Georgia with the headquarters of Planned Parenthood, it's a walk-in freezer so that when they rip that child out of the mother's womb and dismember it, taking its brain and its parts and its eyes and its heart. They put it in the nursery and they house it in a walk-in freezer and wait for the highest bidder to buy them. You tell me something, beloved. What's this nation going to have to come to until we repent? And the famine was sore in the land. I'm, I'm amazed that it took this point for three years. They are, they are languishing in the results of their own repentance. I, I, I know this is a controversial statement, and, and, and you may push back from it, but I, I believe I'm in Bible country here. God is, God, is not, God is not looking to punish us. He's a good, good father. The consequences of our rebellion is that the holiness of God cannot bless our mess if we won't repent from our mess. What in the world is going on in this culture where that for three years there's no repentance, there's no, there's no relinquishing, there's no returning to God. The prophet of God has been preaching. The heavens have dried up. The, cra- the, the, the crops are dead. The cattle are dying. The children are suffering. Won't somebody repent? Amen. The absence of repentance is, is, is the first part of where we're headed. Now, now the absence of repentance leads us to to, to the second component. And this is a little bit more, I don't know, you gotta, you got to walk through this and you can't take my word. You shouldn't take my word for anything because I'm not the authority. The word of God is. I, I want you to notice not only the absence of repentance, but I want you to know the presence of indifference. Now watch, watch, watch what the text is. Verse 3, Ahab uh, called Obadiah, which was the governor of the house, of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. You, you know, beloved, the, the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. It's indifference. And it's, it's not that the church has, has grown cold. It's that she's just indifferent to what's going on around her. She just, you know, we've stained our glass. We've built our buildings. We've carpeted our floors. We've padded our pews. We're better off than we've ever been financially as a Southern Baptist convention. Do you know that out of 44,000 Southern Baptist churches in America, out of 44,000 Southern Baptist churches in America last year, last year, 21,000 did not baptize one person. Not, not one. Now, I tell my crew in Knoxville, bless God and the Lamb, somebody's going in that baptistry. You understand what I'm saying? If we have to get a house cat, we're not, we're not turning in none. You understand what I'm saying? I know some deacons need to go back in there, Dr. Harold. We're, we're not turning in none. 21, we've got bigger buildings than we're at. Do you know we had a greater impact when we were meeting under brush harbors and setting on old buckboards? Do you know we had more power of God on us before we got prissy with our buildings and our personalities and our programs? We had more anointing on the men of God until we educated them beyond their intelligence 
spirits. And now that we know more than God knows, we've lost the power of God on us. The absence of repentance is we're not even acutely aware of how bad it is. Billy Graham's wife said some years ago that if America does not repent, if, if, if God does not judge America, he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. That's a very true statement. Very true statement. Why, why, why is there not a wholesale brokenness in the house of God? Uh, most of my heroes are dead. Most of those that formed me fas- and fashioned me in my spiritual walk with the Lord after I got saved as an addict and an alcoholic and high school dropout, um, I, I, I got saved, but I was around some good people. I don't mean this in a bad way. I was around some good people that loved God. But they were satisfied to get saved and seated and soak and sour, and their hope was to go to heaven one day and make it through life in mediocrity. I, 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 got, I, got, I got saved and I, I knew because of the radical deliverance in my life from the alcohol and the drug abuse that there was, there was, there was something deeper in intimacy with the Father. And when I started asking Baptists, they said, you better be careful. You, you know, you're already a little too excited. You make us nervous as it is, Laborde. So you better just watch, you know, because you're looking for something that, that you know, could get, it, could get, it could get bad. And what I discovered is as I studied, I started hearing names like Bertha Smith and Manly Beasley. And I I started reading about this mystic from Mississippi by the name of Percy Ray. All these people were dead by the time I came into Christ. But as I began to study their life and I started hearing things like the spirit-filled life and the exchange life and the Christ life. And I started listening to Bertha Smith. You think Dr. Hunter skint the cat and kicked the dog this morning. This room would have been cleared out had Miss Bertha been in the house today. Son, she took no prisoners. You talking about walk with God. I, I was with Adrian Rogers one day who was talking about Miss Bertha, who I never met. She was dead before I got saved. And she, she was in a room with Adrian Rogers, Charles Stanley, and a room of other, uh, of other big, big influential leaders. And she called on, she called on Dr. Stanley, Charles Stanley, to pray. Dr. Stanley, they were going into a major meeting, big, big conference meeting, convention. And she called on Dr. She said, Dr. Stanley, you ought to pray. And Dr. Stanley prayed like this. He said, and this is according to Dr. Rogers. He said, now, Lord, the weather is bad tonight. And, and Miss Bertha went... Charles, God already knows the weather. You don't have to tell him about the weather. He's the one to make the weather. God don't want you to talk to him about the weather. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell y'all something. I'm going to think three times from Sunday before I correct Charles Stanley on how he's praying. Do you understand what I'm saying? Oh, but it gets worse. So, Brother Charles recoups himself. Adrian's peeking out of one eye, hoping Miss Bertha ain't going to get on him. And Charles Stanley says, well, well, now, Lord, as Miss Bertha's already pointed out, you already know about the weather, but now, Lord, there'll be people here tonight. They're tired, and they've worked all day. And Lord, we, and she went, Charles, he already knows all that. He knows everybody in here. He's already numbered every hair. You don't have to talk to him about what's in their heart. He already knows through the Holy Ghost that's already reported. Now, I need you to pray for this meeting. <laughs> Charles Stanley said to Miss Bertha, Miss Bertha, I think it best that you pray. <laughs> Amen. The absence of repentance, the, 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 the loss of sensitivity of what the Holy Ghost is doing. Now, do not, hear what I'm, do not hear what I'm not saying. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not talking about some, some out-of-the-Bible, goofy, dog-barking, head-popping, charismatic something that ain't in Scripture. I'm talking about the ability to walk in the fullness of the Spirit, to have the sensitivity to know that we're living in a land that is absolutely post 
Christian. It, 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 it's not just now that they don't know God. It's that what little they do know about God, they hate God. They rail on God. The heavens have dried up. The land is sick with disease. We are suffering. In fact, Brother Harold alluded to it. If you study out eschatologically, if you pay attention to what happens to a nation that rejects God, the very things we're going through right now, mold. You know, he told Israel, the day you walk off from me, there will be mold. My great-grandparents had a tobacco farm not, not much more of an hour from here, raised seven kids in two rooms with an with a outhouse out, out the back, did not have a kitchen on it because they had to cook under a little shed for the first several years. I remember as a child the day, I remember the day that they got running water put in that farmhouse and it was just an old, it was just an old farm. When you let the windows up, you could hear them rattle. They had these weights on them. You let the windows up and go like that, like that. And we slept on the front porch because there wasn't any air conditioning on front rooms. We didn't, it wasn't fancy. It wasn't insulated. They stuffed newspaper in the walls when they built that old house. They didn't have mold. They didn't have mildew. We've got homes, quarter of a million, half a million, million dollar homes in East Tennessee today that people can't live in because black mold. Do you know what mold is according to the Word of God? It's the product of a nation that rejects God. He said, mold will come in amongst you. You'll live with mildew in your land. I'm telling you, beloved, we are in a mess in this nation and the absence of repentance is just continuing to drop the hedge. When are we going to wake up and see if God doesn't do something, we're sunk. The absence of repentance brings us to, to the presence of indifference. Now, you've got to deal with Obadiah in, 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 in honesty. I know that there are some in this room who will say to me, now, Brother Jeff, I, would, I, I think you're wrong on this because Obadiah is, is like a Joseph. He's in Pharaoh's court. He's like a Daniel. He's, he's in multiple administrative courts. The problem with that is that the Bible, uh, the Bible doesn't seem to say that. Because when you get to verse 3, and Ahab called Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now, look at how the Holy Ghost puts it in brackets. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. That, that's past tense, beloved. That's past tense. There was a time when he loved God more than he did right then. And I want to ask you and me a question this morning. When there's an absence of repentance and a presence of indifference, what will happen is we'll cool our heels. We'll lose. We'll walk off from our first love. Is there anybody in this room that it could be said there was a time they loved God more than they do today? There was a time when it could have been said they were hot-hearted for souls. There was a time when they'd taken their harp off of the willow. There was a time when God was absolutely on them. They were walking in the anointing. They had a power on their life. There was a time when, like Obadiah, they were walking with God, but not so now. Now, I'm, I'm going to prove this because I struggled with this greatly. And, and, and when, you get, when you get to verse 5, And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land of all the fountains and, and unto all the brooks, peradventure, that we may find grass to save the horses. Well, here's the problem, beloved. When you get to Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 16, every king that was brought by the sovereign hand of the nation of Israel was prohibited from having horses. Yeah. 
God told them, don't ever amass horses. Don't you ever amass chariots because some trust in horses and some trust in chariots. You better never, ever come to the place where the battle's not the Lord's. You better never believe in the ability of a horse and a chariot over the, over the strong hand of God. There was a time when Obadiah loved God more than he did in this passage, and it was evident from some fruits previous. But the problem is he is complicit. He is complicit with a compromiser who married a heifer, I mean a woman by the name of Jezebel, and he's complicit with him. And I want you to think about this. He's looking for water to save horses that the Word of God says they're not even supposed to have. And while he's looking for water to feed horses that they're not supposed to have, children that need water, crops that need water, are doing without. And he's with the enemy looking for what God told him not to be a part of. Y'all want me to preach there or move on? See, the absence of repentance always brings the presence of indifference. Always. And we're living in a culture unlike anything we've ever lived in in this nation. I never dreamed that a quarter of a century ago when God radically saved me and started me on this journey, I never dreamed that, that I would ever, ever preach in a situation where, number one, alcohol is not even a question anymore. It's not even a question. I just finished last year interviewing over 30 young men for the position of student pastor. Over 30, I went through 30 young men across this nation looking for a student pastor. And, and I'm, I'm going to say it. I know I'm going to get hate mail over it, but on it. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? I don't care. Suck it up, buttercup. If you don't like it, it's your problem. I could not, listen, out of 30, I talked to 29, 29 who who wanted to know. I called one of the lead. I called a guy. I'm not even going to say where because he may be here. I called a guy. He wouldn't be in here. I called one of the top candidates that was given to me by some of the leading pastors in our convention and said, LeBorg, that's the man. That's the man. That's the man. And this is what he said to me. Dr. LeBorg, I hear that God's all over, and he is. God is absolutely, we just come out of a revival, six-day spontaneous move of God. It wasn't planned. God sat down on a Sunday morning, and in six days, we just kept going, kept going, kept going. At the end, we had to bring in five horse troughs to baptize, and when we got done on Friday night, we baptized 150-something people that night. It was a move of God. And this is what he said to me. This is what he said. He said, he said I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to work with you, but I want to know something. I want to know something. If I come on your stage, can we have a beer together? I said, I said, wait, 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 time out on the field. Wait, 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 wait. Let me ask you something. Wait, wait, wait. Do you, I got to know something. Do you have a beer with your pastor now? This is what he said to me. This is what he said. He said, well, well yeah, we, we serve alcohol at our staff meetings. And I'm thinking, I'm the dude got delivered from crack. What is wrong with you? Are you serious? You've got to be out of your ever-loving mind. Now, Brother Jeff, you know, drinking won't send you to hell. Listen, I, I am, my wife and I are the first generation in five in my family, first generation in five on my side to, to not get a divorce. We just celebrated 26 years of marriage. My dad's mother was married nine times. No, her name is not Elizabeth Taylor. She was married nine times. My parents have been married and divorced, married and divorced, and, 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 and you don't want to know the rest of that mess. My wife and I, when we got married, we said divorce is not an option. It is absolutely never going to be put on the table. We'll work it through, pray it through. Murder has been considered twice, but divorce never. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? My daughter is going to get married in May. She, my daughter, 23 years old, is going to marry a lawyer. Yeah, that's what I said. A lawyer. When he come and ask for her hand, 
He said, uh, now, 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 Pastor, I know that you've raised your child. You know, I have to ask for her hand. I want to honor that. And, and I'm in love with her. And I said, well, I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm just going to tell you right before you ask me. I, said, I, I, we, I, I really want her to marry a doctor. That's what I want. I want to marry a doctor. <laughs> I want him to know we ain't going to play. You think about coming in this family, you better have the hide of a rhino. I said, I really want to marry a doctor. This is what he said just that quick. Well, I've heard you preach. You're going to need a lawyer. <laughs> He's going to be all right. Amen. He's going to be all right. <laughs> 29 guys out of, out of 29, 28 could not give me a definitive answer on three things. They could not tell me what God's plan was for Israel. They had no clue. None. They could not give me a definitive conviction on alcohol. And of the 30, 28 of them said to me, I cannot say definitively that God died for everybody. The 29th one was an Arminian. <laughs> I said to him, talk to me about your salvation. He said, well, I've been saved, uh, right, I've been saved nine times. I said, really? He said, yeah, I, but I, I'm saved the longest right now. <laughs> See, this is what happens when a nation has the absence of repentance. The spirit of stupid comes on them. You get stupid is what happens. Now we're raising young men, judging them by the degree in the school they went to instead of the anointing of God that got on them. And if they show up with, with camel hair and a wide belt and eating locusts and preaching like Harold Hunter, we think, oh, you'll never work out. You, you'll never. Listen to me. The problem in America today is not God's willingness to bring revival. It's that we haven't had it so long, we wouldn't know it if we got revival. What is he doing looking for the very thing God told them not to have? Because his heart has grown cold. And he's moved away slowly but surely, just a subtle just a shuttle, a shuttle drift, and he just kind of eased into the comfort of Ahab and the political correctness of Jezebel, and 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 listen to Elijah's response. Elijah don't play now. He he he's not going to play this game. L listen to what he says in in verse nine. And he said, "What have I sinned that thou wouldest deliver thy servant of the hand of Ahab to slay me?" This is what he's saying. A Elijah said, "Hey, I need you to do something in the name of God. Can I put it in contemporary terms real quick?" I need you to show up for soul winning night. <laughs> hey, I need you to show up for visitation. Well, now, Brother Jeff, now, we've got travel ball. Now, I'm telling you, that my, my four-year-old is going to be the, the next major league. Oh, you, you, you gripe about the services being too long when I'm preaching, but you'll stand him out there with, with sunscreen plus 50 for four hours eating seven gallons of that and pay $4,500 to get him on a travel team, but you couldn't tie the dime out of $1 to God's work and can't show up for soul winning, but you can travel all over the country in the hopes that someday you're going to get him on a major league team. And by the way, how's that working out for all them boys playing major league ball? Boy, they're really walking with God, aren't they? Do you hear, you hear Obadiah's response? Wait, 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 wait. You're going to get me in trouble. Yeah. Now listen to Elijah's response. He calls him out. Look at verse 11. And now thou sayest, go tell thy Lord. Behold, Elijah is here. Boy, Elijah had his mail, beloved. He knew exactly what was going on. Because the absence of repentance always brings the presence of indifference. 
and it isn't, it just, it's, just, it's just ever so subtle that the church loses her passion. She loses that intimacy with the Father. And here's what begins to happen. Because the prophet of God is not listened to and he's not heeded as, the, as a man of God, they harden their heart, they stiffen their neck, and here's what will happen. God will bring judgment. And when judgment comes, beloved, my fear is that by the time judgment get here, gets here, it's almost too late. And my, here's the sense in my spirit of where we are. Because what Elijah is going to invite them to do is go up to Carmel. Now here's my question. Why Carmel? When I got to this text in my private praise and prayer time, I thought, well, why would, why would you go to Gilead? Get, there's a bomb in Gilead. Why don't you go to Sinai? Sinai is historically one of the most, one of the most uh, uh, defining places in the life of Israel. Why not go there? Why, why, why wouldn't you go to Nebo where Moses died or to Tabor where, where Deborah had her victory? Why, why, why would you go to Carmel? Because if you go back and study the Word of God, what you'll discover is that Carmel was the, one of the very first victories that they had in the land in the book of Joshua. What God is saying is we need to go back where we started. And we need to go back and be reminded that God's got this. And until we get right with God, we're not going to get the answer we need. There is the absence of repentance. There is the presence of indifference. So much so that Obadiah is oblivious to the compromise in his life. And because of that compromise, when they call him up on, when he goes up on the Carmel. And I'm going to say this very quickly because we, we got lunch waiting on us. Now watch the flow of this. You get to Carmel and it's, it, it, when you study the Old Testament, remember the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. Yep. So when you're reading the Old Testament in so many ways, the substance of the new is, is the symbol of the old. That nothing's accidental or incidental in the Word of God. Let me give you an example very quickly. Uh, all, with rare exception, when you're dealing with the numbers in the Old Testament, uh, for example, American Christianity has imposed on the number seven the number of perfection. That's not at all true. When I study in the Middle East uh, at the Temple Institute and with those that I study with over there in eschatology, they, they, they laugh at us. Seven's not the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. Three's the number of perfection. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's all you got to have. That's the number of, of perfection. Let me give you an example. When you get up on Carmel, he says, get four barrels of water. <laughs> now, number one, what has it not done in three years? <laughs> so I need you to go get four barrels of water times three. I, now, now, let me ask you something. I'm not very good with math, but what's three times four? Twelve. Why didn't he just say, go get 12 barrels of water? I don't know if you've ever been to Carmel or not, but that's not an easy hike to take up to the top. Why get four three times? Because four in, in the Hebraic is the number of creation. But we tend to say, we tend to say it this way in America. We say that in, 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 in um, uh, six days God created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrews said, no, 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 that's not true. Not at all. Not, that's not how he did it. In four days he created it. In five days he furnished it. On the sixth day he crowned it. Don't think about that long. It'll bless you. 
Four days he created it. Five days he furnished it. Six days he crowned it. Because the Hebrew teacher will say, he, they, he went to a place called Moriah. He went to where the temple is. That temple's not there accidentally nor incidentally. That piece of real estate is not simply a political touchstone. By the way, by the way, 48 hours ago in Israel, the court said the Jews can go back up to the temple mount and pray on the temple mount. Where that gold dome is, that's not a mosque. That's a holy site. It's not a mosque. If you ever get a chance to go, you go up to that. It's under the caliph. It's under the Islamic control. When you walk up on it, you can feel the oppression demonically. You can feel the satanic oppression. Outside of it, outside of it, there is a hitching post. There's a hitching post. That's what we'd call it in Tennessee. It's a hitching post. Well, I was up there just right after the election of Barack Hussein Obama, and I noticed there's a hitching post. That hitching post wasn't here the last time I was here. And I said to my guy, I said, why is that hitching post here? He said, we put that there because of a prophetic fulfillment in your American government. I said, really? Our American government had something to do with your Islamic prophecy? He said, oh, yes. You just, you just elected a man who was raised a Muslim. And what you Americans don't know is once a Muslim, always a Muslim. And Barack Hussein Obama, he is a prophetic implication and fulfillment. And we put that hitching post outside of the third holy site and all of Islam because the prophecy is that that when Muhammad comes back, he's coming back on a horse, a white horse, by the name of Barak. And we believe by the virtue of America electing a Muslim by the name of Barak that the horse is about to be tied outside the door. Jews haven't been allowed up there 48 hours ago. If you go to the Temple Institute, this is what they'll tell you. They'll tell you that they are, that Messiah is at the door. Dr. Hunter, he, he said it well. They call it in the Hebrew tongue, Aliyah. They are coming home at rampant, unbelievable rate. It is, my wife and I were walking down the cobblestone streets of Jerusalem back uh, uh, just a tour or two ago when I was teaching prophecy over there. And my wife loves ice cream. It was a beautiful Jerusalem evening just before Shabbat. Everything was going to shut down for the Sabbath. And my wife said, let's get some ice cream before they shut everything down for Sabbath. And just in a little enclave, there was, there was a, 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 a Hasidic Jew, full Orthodox. You had the, you know, the curls and the cap and the talits hanging out. He's standing outside of his little ice cream shop. And, and I said to him, sir, I'd like to buy my wife some ice cream before you close. And this is what he said. Well, y'all come on in. <laughs> I said, you speak the mother language. Praise God, the lamb. Whoa! I said, you ain't from around here. He said, I sure ain't. <laughs> I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Kentucky. I said, for the sweet love of Sandy, what in the world are you doing over here? Listen to me. He said, my father's a multimillionaire. And he was about to hand off the business. And he said, one night before my father was going to hand me the business, he said, I cannot explain to you, but I sensed God saying, it's time for you to go home. And he said, we packed up everything, much to my father's disagreement and disapproval. And I opened up an ice cream shop. And I said, can I ask you why? He said, because we believe Messiah is about to come. Yeah. I said, can, do, do you've got to know as an American that we believe Messiah. The Bible says Messiah's already been here. He said, I know you believe that, but I don't believe that. And I'm waiting on him to come the first time. I'm telling you, it's pregnant. It's pregnant. The land is pregnant. So when you get to, when he says four, it's, that's the number of creation. How many men carried the paralytic on, 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 on the, uh, how many? Four. Four is the number of creation. East, west, 
north, south. Winter, spring, summer, fall. We wrote a song about it. Winter, spring, summer. Come on, y'all, help me out. <laughs> it's the number of creation. So what he's doing is, why didn't he just say 12 barrels? Why, go get 12 barrels and bring them up here and soak that down. Because what he's saying to the Hebrew mind who already understands, God's fixing to create something. God's about to do something for the number of creation. We're going back to Carmel where God started it. We're going to go back up here and show that, that they have no power. And we're going to do it in such a way that when God does it, nobody can say anybody created it but God. Because the church has lost her sense of repentance and she's embraced a sense of indifference, we are oblivious to the fact that there's a whole generation that knows nothing about the blessed hope that brings us to this conference. I preach on Sundays, not every Sunday. I don't, I don't want to exaggerate this, but I preach on Sundays to um, a transgender. Now, I'm going to be quite honest with you. The fact that he that is becoming a her and is about 50% through the process will sit in, a, in our church and listen to me preach the Word of God amazes me. I am amazed. Now, he or she, I'll just tell you, I'm not politically correct enough to know what to call, I don't know what to call him, it, him. I don't know. I don't know what to call him. And I get nervous when I, when I dialogue with him, her. <laughs> because I, I, I believe God made male and female. I don't care how you change your plumbing, your DNA said... You're a male or you're a female. God never made an it. You understand? I was raised around simple folk, tobacco farmers. If you went down to the barn and it had an udder to give butter, it was a heifer. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm a high school dropout. I'm not that good at this stuff. If you went down to the barn, you, I never ever one time went down to the barn and collect eggs and saw the rooster going, well, I ain't feeling it, girls. I just ain't feeling it today. <laughs> that didn't happen. The rooster knew he was a rooster and the hen knew she was a hen. Do you understand what I'm saying? I just, they knew it. And I, I struggle with it. Who would have? Don't y'all laugh at me if you're preaching to anybody that's lost. You're preaching to somebody that's dealing with this. You can't be indifferent to them. It's demonic. That's why we cut ourselves. Go to Mark chapter 5. What do you find? You see a man filled with a, with a legion of demons who's running around naked, rattling chains. He's in a cemetery. That's why, that's why demons like some of our churches, they're dead. They're dead. They're right at home in the death of it. And he's cutting himself. That's demonic. That's a man of, in the last days, doctrines of demons will multiply. They will prevail. That's why we're seeing this confusion about who you are. My stars, you, who in the world would have thought we'd ever live in a nation where you didn't know what bathroom to use? Really? Boy, we've really advanced in the 21st century, hadn't we? Go get four barrels of water. There's a work of creation coming. Now watch this. Because they lost their identity and who they were, they did not understand the fullness of all that God was about to do. And I fear among Baptists who fought for the inspiration of the Scriptures but will not live under the authority of the Scriptures, we're in trouble. We are fundamentally sound, pastor, but we are spiritually rebels. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do because the bylaw said all I got to do is get 51% to move you out, preacher. Where, where did y'all get that? The first book of stupid because it's not in the Bible. 
Every time they voted in the Bible, they voted against God. Every time. Find me one time they voted in the Bible, they didn't vote God out. So what are we going to do? Get our collective ignorance together and, and tell God what we are or are not going to do? You've got to be kidding me. Go get four barrels. Elijah, this makes no sense. Number one, we have, we're looking for water. I know that God will provide. Go get four barrels and get it three times. Why don't we just do 12? We're Baptists. We could get to WMU to do a barrel drive. <laughs> Brotherhood ain't going to show up and do nothing. <laughs> They'll get on a $14,000 bass boat, put a $200 rod and reel in their hand, and go sit on the lake all day and get third-degree burns, but then they don't want to sit in church for 30 extra minutes when the Holy Ghost moves. That amazes me. They, they, won't give, they won't give a holy grunt to God, but they'll dress up like a tree, rub dopey all over them, climb up my tree, and, and, and use a $5,000 gun to shoot what I can buy at Wendy's for a buck and a half. You've got to be kidding me. What is wrong with us? Are you serious? For real? What has happened to us? I was teaching a class in one of our Bible schools in eschatology, and a professor sent this to me, and I close with this. I know I've gone longer than I should. I don't know that I should have gone at all, but I, I, I want you to hear my heart. This, he sent this. Now, th- I'm going to say this way. My Aunt Dot says, if it's a lie, it's his lie. This is one of our professors from one of our Bible schools that was teaching history, uh, church history, and he had the youngest class he had ever had in his, in his, in, that, that was coming in as freshmen. And I'm going to tell you all something. The world has shifted on us. And I don't know that we're fully attuned because we got the spirit of Obadiah on us. I don't know that we fully understand the lateness of the hour. So he is explaining the history of the church. I want you to listen to what he wrote all the teaching faculty. He said, while teaching the youngest class that we've ever had in our, our, our Bible college, it occurred to me that when I began to teach church history that this group who supposedly were called to the ministry, had no sense of where the church came from. So I had to go back in the middle of the semester to acclimate them to the fact that the church started in Jerusalem as a fellowship. There was intimacy and cornea. As it moved to Greece, it became uh, based on philosophy and humanity and lost some of its anointing. Yet even more, as the church moved into Rome and Rome moved into the church, it became a religion diluting the power of God for bureaucracy instead of authority of Scripture. As it made its way to Europe, it became a cultural, fashionable, political statement that lost all of its ability to impact as salt and light. And when it came to the shores of America, though its promise initially was powerful, it soon became a business. And in the 20th and 21st century, it is known more for its ability to build buildings and raise budgets, and it has become a business. And what started in Jerusalem as a cornea of intimate soul winning has now become a business in America. In the midst of my lecture, a young lady who had caused me no no uh, slack or lack of, of, uh, of, of consternation in our class raised her hand to, to interrupt my lecture. I finally said, yes, Macy, what is it? Because she had not grabbed an understanding from Jerusalem to Greece to Rome to, to Europe to America. And she said, sir, wait, 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 I don't understand. He, he said, Macy, what do you not understand? She said, sir, you, you've been teaching us this semester that the church was a body. He said, yes, Macy, that's right, but you don't understand the history of the church moving from Jerusalem to America. She said, well, no, I understand that, sir. My question is this. Did you not teach us that the church was a body? Yes, Macy, I did. 
She said, but now you say in America that the church is a business. Yes, Macy, that's what I'm trying to convey. She said, but sir, if, if somebody uses their body as a business, isn't that prostitution? Yeah, 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 that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. We are advertising stuff in the, in the window we do not have in the warehouse. We're hiding behind stained glass when, beloved, you and I, you and I who are seated in heavenlies, you and I who've been given the armor, you and I who've been given the authority from victory to victory, from glory to glory, you and I who he said he would withhold no good gift from, you and I who are supposed to have peace that passes all Prozac, can I say it that way, you and I who are supposed to be able to walk maybe not, at, not, not around the furnace but through the furnace, you and I who are supposed to understand that when we not, if we go to the lion's den, that the lion of the tribe of Judah has already shut their mouth. And you and I who are supposed to be impacting have allowed the absence of repentance and the presence of indifference to miss what God's doing. Because we have turned the body into a business that's now a prostitute. And we have preachers in this land, God help us, that have lowered their voice to raise their pay. Not fussing at us. I just want to tell you, here's my heart. I'm tired of reading about revival. I'm tired of reading about it. I'm tired of hearing about what Wesley saw. Now, I know this is going to upset some of you, and it's going to make Baptists itch in places they didn't know they had. But you can't say anything about me that hadn't already been said or made up. When Wesley would come to town to preach, Brother Bill, this is this, is, this eyewitness testimony. When Wesley would come to town, the Holy Ghost of God was so mighty that police records in the state of Georgia, in Atlanta and in Savannah, history bears out that police officers would walk up to men laying on the side of the road or on the sidewalk and they would smell their breath to see if they had liquor on them because if they didn't smell liquor, they would look at the officer and say, he's, he's got Wesley's disease, not liquor, because they had gotten under conviction and left the meeting and tried to run from God and the Holy Ghost of God chased them like a hound out of heaven and they got so under conviction that they laid down on the ground and they were scattered like litter all over the city of Atlanta and Savannah because the Holy Ghost chased them a mile down the road and they were laying on the, they were laying on the sidewalks almost unconscious with the power of God on them wooing them, wooing them, begging them to come out of the flames of hell. Now I'm not telling you I'm looking for the sensational but I am tired of reading about what God can do. I'm tired of reading about a man by the name of Lamphere who believed God to meet in an upper room and started praying over the city of, of New York and it turned into a million, a million man move of God. I'm tired of reading about what Bertha Smith experienced with the Culpeppers in Shantung. I'm tired of hearing about what God could do in Wesley. I'm tired of hearing about what he might have done with Whitfield. I'm tired of hearing about what happened in the 1950s and the 60s. I want to see God sit down in this generation and turn this world upside down and snatch some people up out of hell and let the church come back and be who she's supposed to be. Get the barrels. Get the barrels. Don't vote on it. Don't argue about it. Don't say we ain't never done it that way. Shut up. Get the barrels. Get the barrels. What's God going to do? I don't know, but if you don't get the barrels, we'll never know. Well, I don't like Carmel. It's a hard walk. Suck it up, buttercup. God said do it. I can't help it. I'm not the one to pick the location or the situation. Just get the barrels. Get up the mountain. Let's wait for the fire to fall.
Father in heaven, I pray that in the name of Jesus, we'd come to a deep sobriety today that revelation brings responsibility. We cannot, we cannot hear what we've heard today and walk out of here indifferent to it. Did you not stand on the shores of Capernaum? Did you not say, woe unto thee, Corazon? Had Sodom and Gomorrah seen what you seen? Had they seen what you seen, they'd have repented. God, how much more is America being weighed in the balance? Judgment begins in the house of the Lord, not the White House. The problem's not the schoolhouse, the problem's the church house. So in Jesus' name, I pray, let repentance come, let indifference flee, and may we respond to the prompting of the Holy Ghost of God. And God, if you say something so ridiculous, go get four barrels, fill them full of water three times. In the name of Jesus, may we have no more sense than just to obey you and wait for the fire to fall. In Jesus' name, amen.